this crazy world we live in, when people use the word geek, it can create certain impressions. In reality, geek culture has never been more mainstream. Let's learn about the real people behind the stereotype. I'm your super dummy Paul. This is Geek. My name's Scott Hamilton. You may know me from nowhere, really. Um, <laughs> uh, I am a, a guy living up in the northeast of England, just outside of Durham. Um, I'm heavily tattooed. I work in telecommunications. Um, away from my day job, I live with my partner and two cats that may turn up at some point meowling loudly for food or treats um, and I write for a music website called Three Songs and Out. Um, I also write and run mental health blog called uh, The Order of the Dog. Um, we have a close group on Facebook. Um, we're not healthcare professionals, we're just a bunch of people they're trying to support each other through the uh, the tougher times of life. I started that about six years ago. I've always struggled badly with mental health um, and I ended up really shutting off for about two or three months, just completely couldn't leave the house without a panic attack. Um, hated life in general just couldn't get any joy out of anything. So um, the company I work for are really good with um, providing care and support. They provided counseling sessions, which um, I took part in. Um, and when I came out the other side, I was very hyper and buzzy and full of the joys of spring and kind of like a complete 180 degree turn from miserable goth-like Scott from the October. Um, and a friend said, you know, well, write about it, you know, it, you'll journal it. So I, I did, part of the reason I did it was because I was not sick of people asking me what happened, but it was kind of like, oh, I've already said this five times today already to people, you know, can I not just print it out on a card, have it laminated, and, you know, you sit and read it, hand it back, go, okay, and we move on. Um, I, I posted it um, just to kind of get things off my chest and explain what happened. Within two hours or so, I'd started getting message, messages from people who I'd, I'd never met at all in my life. It'd just been passed the, the blog by a friend of a friend who'd sit, who'd one of them said that it really helped her understand what her daughter was going through, who tried to um, kill herself a few months before. Um, and that kind of thing sits really heavy on your shoulders when when you're kind of thinking about things and, and you realise what an impact you can have on people and just by giving that one person some tiny little bit of understanding, you know, it, it helped her and her family. So I ended up um, 
running with it. Um, I ended up writing for a, a good four years solidly in there. Um, I interviewed people who, who suffered. I interviewed family of people who suffered. I interviewed musicians. Um, in fact, the, the Order of the Dog, the, the title of the blog in the, the closed support group is a song by Ginger Wildheart. And he was the first person I interviewed um, because he himself had recently um, spent a few months in hospital with suicidal urges um, and have somebody being so vocally open about their mental health helped me. So um, it became like a, almost like a, a mutual beneficial thing. And I've always thanked them for this day to allow me to kind of, you know, be given a voice, um, you know. So yeah, it, it's been a, a weird, weird ride with that. Um, but still really good. Um, I do a lot of mental health support work within my my workplace purely as volunteer, um, purely as like a, a peer, just somebody who's gone, yeah, been there, done that, got the t-shirt several times. Hey, what medication are you on? Hey, have you tried this? And yeah, it, it's, I find it really therapeutic for myself uh, to know that there's, you know, people have got somebody out there um, like me, um, you know, by helping people, that makes me feel better about myself. Um, obviously, within the, the past 18 months, everybody's been hugely impacted um, by COVID. And you can't say that you, you don't have mental health. Everybody has mental health. You know, it's case of some days it's good some days it's bad it's like your general health um the first lockdown i was absolutely fine you know well having to see people brilliant having to be anti-social anti and being told to be anti-social and standoffish it was like a dream come true by the the time it got to the third lockdown i like earlier this year i just had a complete brain blip and you know had to step back from things for a good couple of months just while I sorted my head myself out um but you know things that helped were were because I've become just so disconnected with things um I lost a passion for reading which I've done since being you know tiny and listening to music which is you know, I'm, I'm somebody who will listen to Spotify, go, wow, I've never heard this before. This is cool. Okay, I'm going to buy it, right? What shall I buy? Shall I buy the CD, the vinyl? I'll get both. I'll pass the CD on to somebody. And, you know, I still get that that joy from, from music that um, I always have. But I had that period earlier this year where I just had, had nothing. You know, I was just completely detached. So I ended up having to train myself to connect again which was uh, a really strange way to, to kind of like deal with things it wasn't just a case of here take this medication you know this will make you feel better it was about the whole mental attitude and and changing how 
the, the brain chemistry works slightly and, and learning to reconnect, um, which I did through um, listening to vinyl um, because it's the physical interaction, you know, the, the taking of the record out, looking at it to make sure it's clean, putting it on the turntable, giving it a clean, making sure the amp and the speakers are on, putting the needle in the right place sitting there for 15, 20 minutes and then going, right, I need to get up and turn it over and repeat. And you just having to do that interaction um, really helped focus my brain. And after a few weeks, honestly, it was just like, it, it was magical again. Um, my bank balance may not agree so much. Um, and I am on pretty good terms now with the Amazon delivery guy and girl. Um and my partner keeps saying we're running out of space. Um, but, you know, there's still quite a bit of the house left that doesn't have um, yeah, records and graphic novels and comics and uh, everything there. Uh, I mean, comics, they really helped me as well because um, it, it's sort of like you've got this larger story condensed into these tiny little episodes that are just so easy to digest you know 10-15 minutes you can focus on that and then put it down and it's not like with a book where you're going how long have I got left to the end of this chapter um, I can't leave it here because you know it's in the middle of a kind of a part of the story um, so even though I've read comics and graphic novels a lot over the years, um, I really kind of reconnected with that um, earlier on this year. And that was just absolutely, absolutely fantastic, kind of dipping my toes back in and just kind of getting to, to get what I, I loved from it all in the first place and rekindling all that. It was, it was magical. Um, not that I'm saying that everybody should kind of have, you know, breaks from their, their brain for a while but kind of getting that new appreciation certainly really really helped um even the whole kind of make sure you're going out and doing exercise keep in touch with your family and friends you'll have this interaction through the internet or over the phone that still doesn't really help when your head doesn't process things in the, the right kind of way. Um, the thing that triggered me earlier this year was I turned 50, which I've never been bothered about my age at all before in my entire life. Mentally, I'm still eight, nine on a good day, maybe it's 13, 14. Um, but I just had so many people kind of wishing me happy birthday that my brain just just went, and, and, and that was it. I, I couldn't take it. I, I had to, I put my phone down, switched off. Just, it was like, why are all these people thanking me and saying happy birthday? I, I don't deserve this. It's weird. And it was just that sudden flood of interaction from people just, yeah, I, you know, caused my brain to blip. I mean, I've been going to gigs and playing in bands all my life and I found a few months ago when the lockdown restrictions were kind of eased to a point where it was almost normal again, sitting in Costa was just 
absolutely horrendous, you know. Um, I started hyperventilating. This is a place I've been to for, for a while to sit and read. This is my relaxation place to sit and have coffee and, you know, maybe it's a bit of cake and my partner could see me getting more and more anxious and on edge and I ended up having to sit with just headphones on, no music or anything, just to kind of deaden the sound. Um, so I ended up picking up some earplugs, um, which can, you can vary the, the, the kind of amount it the, the, the limit um, sound-wise, which was okay. Um, but you, you lose the, the volume, you lose clarity. Um, so what I've ended up doing is, I'll, I'll just quickly, I now have these, which are tiny little things from a company called Flare Audio. Um, they're a, a, they're, they used to be a PA company. And um, what they've done is they've done quite a bit of research into noise triggers with autism and things like that. So what these do is they, they just sit in your ear, just like you would um, with a normal earplug, but the, you sit with your headphones on or just going out and about, and it reduces um, certain frequencies, like the harsher sounds. And so you're, you're still the same volume as if I didn't have any in, just like the tops are rolled off slightly, the bottoms are a bit warmer, and it just takes that harshness off. And I've found um, these to be really helpful. I mean, that's it. My job is a call center role, so I'm on the phone constantly with my little Bluetooth headset and mic on all day, and it just eases things just a little bit, um, enough for me to kind of, kind of deal with it. Um, so yeah, I, I I really recommend them, and if they want to endorse me, <laughs> even better. Um, but 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 no, it, it's about taking these situations and adapting what what you have and what you know. Um, I used to be a, a sound engineer for. Um, I used to do like a lot of kids shows and things like that for a local shopping complex, and you start to when you start messing around with peers and things like that, you start noticing, you know, how different sounds and different things affect um, what's going on and how the environment around you affects the sound itself as well. So just kind of reading up on things and then finding that company that did that um, was an absolute godsend for me. Um, and... You know, I've, I've been out and about with them a few times and yeah, I still get anxious because that's me. I'm, I'm always going to be kind of anxious and wary about things, but they just roll off uh, enough of that harsh edge of um, life to be um, make it worthwhile. For me, um, a geek isn't just a person who you know, it, it's always kind of been that the geek is the nerd. He's the guy who reads books all the time, or the girl who reads books all the time. They're they're quite cerebral. They're they're, they're quite niche in their tastes. Um, for me, geek is almost having 
a love of life and, and certain subjects, but it it's kind of amped up. You know, you become almost not obsessive about it, but it becomes part of your life to a certain extent where, you know, other people might feel the need to, to watch Coronation Street, how many, how many times it's on a week, whereas a geek likes to make sure they have the run of comics that they're after all in good condition and boarded and bagged and in the nice box stored away somewhere really safely. And then they'll buy the graphic novels as well because there's something in there that makes you do it. You know, um, it's it, it, it's it's a love affair with the, the things that make your makes your mind go wow and gives you that that magic. Um, and to me, that's comics, that's books, that's film, that's music, that's that's anything that kind of makes me light up and go, wow, this is really cool. Do you want to see this? Yeah, you're bored of me already. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I think for, for me, it, it probably started the, the same with every other male child of the, the 70s, you know. Um, Star Wars was absolutely massive in my life and no doubt I'd, I'd probably say most of my friends would probably say exactly the same thing um I remember going to see it for the first time in a, a cinema in Sunderland my dad took me for my my birthday there was me and him um we went on a Sunday afternoon um I've got the commemorative booklet that unfortunately went the journey several several years ago um and obviously I, I came out and uh, that that was it. it it was just like that moment from where dorothy steps out of the house in the wizard of oz and goes from black and white in, in texas to um glorious technicolor you know um i did check a few times to make sure i wasn't wearing ruby slippers or anything on you, you know um our your house hadn't crushed any witches or anything like that, but but seeing that, I'd, I'd always kind of loved that kind of um, fantasy kind of genre. Um, you know, when I was younger, Ray Harryhausen films were always on TV. You know, um, I mean, I was thinking about this earlier on in preparation. Um, I don't remember holidays as such. I remember sort of like going to places on holiday and being taken to the cinema to see certain films, like, uh, you know, going to visit my uncle and Lemon and Spa and being taken to see Sinbad and the Eye of the Tiger at the, the, the local cinema there, um, going on, going to Port Vatican, North Wales, and uh, being taken to see Annie with my mum and my sisters. They, they, they did a lot of tap dancing, you know, musicals were quite big in the house, so it was either that or, you know. Um, but I, I still love that. I, I, I quite enjoy musicals because it's that whole kind of escapism and, and kind of almost like hyper-surrealism, you know. you suddenly got people having a conversation, then all of a sudden they're singing about it and 
dancing around and it, it becomes quite exaggerated but again that's another side of you know the, the things we all love and almost dream about you know we want that almost exaggerated um love affair with with something that's out there um and film for me as a young kid was the, the my first introduction to to that um weird kind of life and I, I took it I grabbed it with both hands and I ran as quickly as I could which for me wasn't very fast at all um or far either but you know it, it was check things and for me it encouraged me to to think and you know have flights of fancy and um I'd, I'd start writing and drawing and uh, my family are, are very working class up in the, the the northeast. At least we were in the seventies. My dad was a pitman. Um, his family were were all pitmen, and you know, being arty or cerebral isn't kind of it's not frowned upon, but it's kind of not encouraged as such either. You know, you you you're kind of expected to you know following that kind of footsteps but me I was um I was escaping um I remember getting my first little black and white tv portable thing um around the same kind of time as channel four launched and I had a desk in my room and I think it was either the Monday or the Tuesday evening channel four would show the prisoner at 10 o'clock and I would camp under my desk with this portable and a blanket thrown across the desk so then no light could be seen through the doorway of the bedroom just so I could sit and watch the prisoner. And I mean, I must have been 13, 14 at the time and not quite getting it. We're kind of going, man, this is weird and I like it, but I don't know why I like it. And... Why is that man constantly running away from that giant balloon? Um, and who is number two? Why Why do we never know what number two is? And all my friends were, were kind of semi-geek, but nowhere near as, um, as in-depth as I was finding myself. And like I said before, I'm, I'm quite antisocial. Um, not to an extent, well, that I'll completely ignore people, but I find it hard to be social. Um, I'm, I'm very kind of quiet and, and withdrawn at times. Um, so for me, you know, I, I was able to communicate through all these films and shows and, and books that, that I started discovering. And yeah, man, that, that, that helped me so much um with, with dealing with things um I, I was able to kind of sit there and read something and go yeah man this this person gets me from this book you know i i don't um know them they don't know me my story isn't like this but i understand this and that made me feel a part of something so much bigger um Comics again were absolutely huge. My grand blesser, she would buy me a comic every week uh, to bring down. 
Um, originally, it was Star Wars Weekly, and then it went to Empire Strikes Back Weekly. And then I think it was monthly. But by that point, I'd kind of um, gone on to the, the Eagle reprints that, um, that, that had started up again. Um, my sisters would tap dance on a, a Saturday, so it was just me and my dad in the house, so he'd send me up to the, the local village to, to get lunch for us, both from the, the butchers, and, you know, I'd, I'd be given 20 pence, so I'd always go on the news agents, and I was picking up um, 2000 AD, um, which I remember getting. My very first one was issue number two, which, again, is lost somewhere in the, the ethers, but you'd all kind of, like, sit there and go, wow, this is brilliant. Um, you're connecting with things like Judge Dredd and Flesh and Harlem Heroes, and you start reading through the the, the series, and you, you just see all these fantastic writers who, and artists who've passed through, and going right. This is the the history of British science fiction fantasy, whatever you want to call it, from the the mid seventies onwards. You know, having the likes of Alan Moore there and Neil Gaiman and you know, all these fantastic writers and artists and getting sucked into stories like Rogue Trooper and the VCs and, you know, even sort of like horror things like, um, was it Fiends of the Western Front, um, where it was vampires and they were, they were allies of the Germans and then they discovered there were vampires. Some really obscure story, and that's kind of really stuck in my head since since it was originally released. And I remember finding a sort of like a digital version, version sitting reading and going, man, this is freaky as hell. And, you know, I must have been, what, eight or nine at the time, and I'm kind of reading this, this kind of horror thing. And again, not quite understanding it because I was too young, but kind of going, oh, this is messed up. I like this. Yeah, man. Um, yeah, and that kind of grew, you know, into the 80s with sort of like TV shows like you know, Tales of the Unexpected and the, you know, Hammer House of Horror, um, you know, kind of sneaking up to, out to, to kind of watch films like Jaws, um, but when, when that would be shown on TV and, and then be told like halfway through you had to go up to bed. And you were just like, but, 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 which led me to have nightmares for years about swimming pools and sharks because, you, you know, I never knew that they caught the shark at the end. You know, for me, it, it, it still existed in my, in my local swimming baths. Um, so, yeah, thanks for, for messing me up, mum and dad. It's all your fault. Yeah, um, I see. She'd always watch the kid watch to the end. <laughs> and I know, you know, let the end and disturb them, you know. And, and then at least you can go, yes, it was horrible. There was all those blood, blood and guts, but, you know, everybody's all right. Well, apart from the ones who were dead, but everybody else is all right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is a, a valuable lesson for everybody in life. Not right, you're halfway through, you've got all the horror parts, up to bed, and you'll never know what happened next. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting because it sounds like you had a real mix of love of the characters, but also just love mm. of 
situation. Yeah. yeah, it's like escapism is a bit of a mm. sort of done word, but it is. It's yeah, it's getting yeah, away from the normality. Completely. I mean, my parents separated in the, the early 80s and my dad would, um, we'd, we'd have a weekly thing where we'd go to the local video shop and we'd, we'd pick up a, a video to watch and we'd, we'd watch that together. So kind of going from um, not being able to see the end of Jaws in, you know, just before I turned into a teenager, suddenly being able to see the likes of you know, Escape from the Dragon, um, the Bruce Lee. Um, I can't remember the bloody saw, the bloody film, Bruce Lee, Enter the Dragon. That's it. There's just so much rubbish up in here now. It's just trying to find the, the right filing system that works. Um, so getting to see films like that and um, Escape from New York and The Fog and all these John Carpenter horrors and social commentaries that you don't pick up until later on and you're kind of sitting there going wow this is so many different levels um but as a kid you're you're just kind of going look at that he's lost his head Ah, there's blood there look the things come out of his chest and um yeah yeah for me it, it was escapism and you know these films these books, these comics that I read, they they became they became friends, they became family, they became the the, the things I would turn to when I needed reassurance. Um, and you know, uh, when my parents did split up, I, I threw myself heavily into to reading even more so um, than than I had. You know, I, I was reading lots of fantasy literature. I remember kind of starting to read Isaac Asboff and Arthur C. Clarke and, you know, age 12, 13, something like that, purely because it was there. I, I saw it in the library and the, the covers looked cool and weird and and, and that drew me in. And I, I'd pick up books on sort of like how horror films were made, um, you know, so you'd get all these behind-the-scenes the photos of all these guys working with, um, you know, special effects. And I remember sort of like being absolutely... I never got to see The, the Omen um, until after I'd read several books that featured the making of The Omen in. So that, that there was no kind of spoiler warnings or anything, but by the, the end of watching The Omen, Omen, I knew exactly what was going to happen because I'd read everything beforehand. I, I knew he was going to be decapitated by a sheet of glass because I saw how they did that in the book. Um, you know, and, and it was kind of like you were initiated into this little secret world that you kind of went into and you were completely in charge. You know, there was no limits to where you could go and where you couldn't go. And you know, that was really kind of, when you think about it now, it, it is a case of um, you want to find out about something, you open up the internet, you type words in the search bar, um, you go on Facebook and ask people. Then you had to kind of hunt things down and it was very much kind of words of rumours of, 
you know, things and, you know, um, so you would buy things like um, Starlog magazine or Starburst or these kind of periodicals that would talk about Harry Harris, Harry, Harry, uh, yeah, Jason and the Argonauts and, um, you know, all these special effects of John Carpenter and you initiated yourself. Um, in fact, me and a friend were talking uh, a couple of years ago and we were saying that now cultures become very disposable. If you don't like something, you move on straight away. There's the whole attention span is completely gone. You, you don't buy an album to listen to from start to end now. You go, right, okay, I don't like this track. Okay, here's the single, I know this, I'll, I'll listen, I'll listen. Okay, right, I'm moving on to the next thing. I don't want that, I want a different artist. And it's, and, and it's almost, um, almost cheapened things a little bit, but you still get that point now where you kind of, somebody goes, have you read this? Have you listened to this? And you get that first taste and you're just like, and that magic's back. Um, yeah, yeah. I've got so many friends that, that that we, you know, we swap, you know, what we've heard or read or or anything. And as soon as you get somebody coming and going, oh, have you tried this? And you're like, no, but you said it's good, so I will try it because I trust your opinion. Um, you know, back when I was a, a teenager, you didn't have that, you had peers. Um, I remember my friends um, getting Watchmen and Dark Knight Returns because they were going through Newcastle comic shopping and I wasn't. And they they were coming back going, oh yeah, I've got this, it's really, oh no, I don't like it. And if you start reading it and went, oh, but no, no, I, I like it, you would then kind of, you know, you you were cut out. You had to be part of that um, that that in crowd. So a, a lot of it was kind of, you know, not secret as much, but it 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 was done behind closed doors. You know, you didn't kind of go in and into school and go, ha, oh, all right, who's been reading Viva Vendetta today? Come on, hands up, hands up. No, just me. Right, okay. Um, Whereas now it's a lot more word of mouth. You, you get people going, um, um, just look at um, James Tinian Fourth's, um, you know, something is killing the children. How that's kind of sort of like built from kind of going word of mouth, word of mouth. Just suddenly the first issue landed and people went, oh, crap, read this. And then, you, you know, that's really kind of helped catapult him in, in such a, a brilliant way. But then you look at the work and you go, he deserves this for, for what he's doing. You know, that and Department of Truth. And how, how is, how is this not mainstream? You know, how is this not being picked up and being talked about the same as Walking Dead is to, to, to some people, you know, or or Star Wars or Star Trek or, or anything like that. It's still kind of, I mean, I know there's like TV ad adaptations and all sorts of various other different comic properties and things like that going on. And it, it, it's always, you know, 
every week you'll hear about a new adaptation of, of something else. And but being able to kind of get in at this ground level and look at this, I, I sent um, the the Department of Truth graphic novel, the, the first volume to a friend of mine because he, he'd been having a bit of a rough time and he, he, he likes his conspiracy theories and things like that. So I was like, read this, you're going to like it. And he sat there and he went, right, I need to find the right light to read it in because I really want to appreciate the artwork properly. And, you know, and it, that made me just feel so good inside that somebody else was able to kind of take that and he got the same kind of love that, that I did when I opened the very first issue of it. Um, so, yeah, I, yeah, geek is such a big, all-encompassing melting pot of love and friendship and comradeship. Um, you know, the friends I've made, the really, really good friends who stayed with me and this, you know, have been part of my life for so many years, they're the same. There's my friend Mark, who I met at college, who he was wearing an Aerosmith T-shirt. I was wearing an Nemesis the Warlock T-shirt. You know, we were the only long-haired guys there at the time. We started talking. Um, he was a comics fan. I was a music fan as well, so we got on. Um, my friend Dean, who I worked behind a bar with, you know, we'd been chatting for a couple of hours on our first shift, and he taught me all about Terry Pratchett, you know, and kind of going, oh, I'd, I'd never heard of him. Oh, I need to check. Next day, rocked in with the, the first book and went, there you go. Um, luckily, um, we were working the following night as well because I had to get them to bring the second book in straight away because I just devoured the first one pretty much straight away. Um, Steve, who we, we both know, um, I was working in a call centre. He was working in a phone shop. It's beginning to sound like a Human League song, this. Um, I was working in a call centre when you rang up. Um, which it, it pretty much was. Um, I, I spoke to him about three or four times in, in a matter of days. Um, and we, we just kind of occasionally would be like, so, yeah, what have you been doing? Oh, that's, that's cool. And we just started talking. And next thing you, you know, a few years later, I'm, I'm you know, going to London to to do the sightseeing thing, and I'm meeting up with him and his wife. Um, you know, I love his family the bits. I've stayed with them a few times, and it's these kind of people that we're all interconnected through our various different loves and passions of this weird kind of freaky messed up world that we all live. It, it's all about connectivity and how you relate with not people as such but how you relate with certain people um and like i said that the bonds that i've i've built with these people they are physically unbreakable um you, you know steve was there for me i was actually visiting him the a few years ago when my my grand passed away and 
you know, that was the same grand who who brought me comics every week. And just knowing that I was around Steve really helped me get through that time. Um, you know, because here I am sitting in a friend's house in, in London and we'd connected because of our love of comics and music. And my grand started a lot of that with me. So where did the, the love of music start from then? Um, probably the same as most people. You, you kind of start looking at your, your parents' record collections and um, um, wondering what this kind of weird and wonderful noise is. Um, my dad was very much into to rock music. Um, you know, he, he didn't have much in the, the way of vinyl or anything like that, but there was, um, you, you know, there was some Who and Rolling Stones and and that sort of thing. My mum was very much into the Everly Brothers and um, Chuck Berry, Little Richard and soul music and with my sisters doing tap dancing. There was always lots of um, show tunes and, you know, that that kind of thing. So I grew up in kind of a very not eclectic household because they, your eclectic kind of makes it sound like you have chosen to to listen to this type of music or that type of music, but it was just literally that's what was there at the time. Um, even things like classical music. Um, just a few weeks ago, I ended up buying a, a copy of um, Halt's The Planet Suite because I watched... Um, Brian, uh, Professor Brian Cox doing a, a, a show um, around the, the Planet Suite and he was getting um, the orchestra to play. But he was kind of going, what is our relationship now with this music? Because it's about this planet. Back then when the music was written, we knew very little about it. We knew, you know, Mars, it's the god of war. The music's quite Baroque and quite dum-dum-dum-dum. Whereas now, we know what the planet's like, we know what the surface is like, we know that, you know, there's these odd canals, there's this and that. And he's does having that knowledge change your relationship with the music? And I was going, oh, that's brilliant. Wow. But I ended up buying like a, a copy on vinyl and I'm sitting there with some headphones on, listening to it, going, man, I remember listening to this in school assembly, you know. And that for me was when I got exposed to classical music, you know, and you start going, this this composer, yes, I remember that and that and all these memories start flooding in. Um, but with me, it, it started properly, I'd probably see my early teens again, my friends at school, um, you, you know, you, you, you'd be listening to Michael Jackson or Iron Maiden or Bruce Willis, you know. <laughs> My, my my friends listened to the Bruce Willis album, The Return of Bruno. You know, here's my musical credibility going out the window. Um, but for a, you know a 13, 14 year old boy who doesn't know any better, um, it was fun. There was that guy from Moonlighting um, before he started, you know, wearing a white vest and shooting all the terrorists. Um, singing Respect Yourself and Under the Boardwalk and all these old kind of like blues and souls kind of classics. 
and you start picking up on that and you kind of go, all right, yeah, that's cool. But then you hear the original versions, you go, no, oh, that's cool. Um, so to me, it was just kind of, again, the, the, this whole kind of like, um, really kind of just thing where you just walked ahead and went, okay, right, that looks good, I'll try this. Okay, that looks good, I'll, I'll try this. I remember I started listening to country music when I was 17, which I'm, I'm from Sunderland and Durham in the Northeast, you know, we're about as the opposite of country as what you possibly could be. You know, it's grim, it's great. There's no sun, there's no desert. You don't need a cowboy hat. You need a steel helmet or something. Um, but to me, I heard Copperhead Road by Steve Earle and just immediately went, oh, it, 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 you had, it was that same thing as the first time I read Batman, you know, that immediate like epiphany of, of something just connecting. Um, and you couldn't tell people you liked country music back then, you know? Um, oh. No, at all. You'd be burned to the stake for being a heretic or or, or something. Um, and, you know, I, I still love a lot of country music. I still love a lot of rock and metal music. I love jazz. I mean, me and a friend who I used to be in a band together, you know, before a gig, we'd both be listening to a, a kind of blue by Miles Davis and then going down and playing this really bizarre metal music in you know that's been dropped down a step and a half you know purely because that's the way our brains worked we we, we kind of we wanted that challenge and and you're picking whatever kind of music you felt like purely because you were feeling it in here was what was important not well everybody likes this or I'm, I'm, I'm going to listen to it and I'm going to be begrudgingly like it, you know, just because everybody else is. I don't care. I don't care if people don't like the music I listen to. At the end of the day, I'm listening to it, not them. Unless it's my partner stuck in the living room downstairs when I'm playing vinyl, in which case, I'm sorry. Um, but, you know, she's getting to enjoy some of the bands that I listen to, others not so much. Um but such is life, you know, not everybody, we, we all don't like the same thing. It's physically not possible. I don't believe that, that, I don't believe there's another version of Scott Hamilton out there exactly the same as me listening to exactly the same music, reading the exact same books and comics and, and things. And no, no, we, we, we're so unique. And I think that's another trait of um, geekdom is we celebrate that uniqueness, you know. Um, we let that freak flag, that freak flag fly. Mm. I've been talking all day, you know, on the phones, and you know, I have lost the power of speech. Um, but yeah, yeah, it, it's that whole kind of celebration of demanding the right to be unique and being proud of it, you know, and, and that's what we all are. Very nicely put, sir. I try. Thank you. 
it does sound like you you enjoy sort of the art of things and by art it's not just like the physical art it's the the talent the yeah the artiste in all the different bits that come together yeah yeah i, I mean I, I know from trying to write myself or you know just trying to sketch something or playing an instrument and trying to create a song you become involved in the, the creation process at, at, at such a tiny little level and when when you do something and you take that little gem of the, the idea that you've had and all of a sudden it, it's it's this instead and it's not this and it's grown and you can then share that with other people you start to realize how all these other people work and you appreciate that the hard hours that um, um, they, they put in uh, just before the this call I was, I was reading um, Jeff Lemire's email that he does each week because um, yeah he's just started doing is it Substack um, the, the new kind of like comics thing where everyone seems to be running and joining to, to, you know, release exclusive content and you can sign up as a patron of it. Um, I mean, I, I've been, in, you know, I've, I've done Kickstarters. Well, I've, I've sort of like bought in with Kickstarters with bands and and um, patron and the, the likes of that. Uh, so for me, it's kind of just doing that same thing, but now supporting comic writers and, and artists. And he was going on about, you know, this is my schedule each week. This is what I do. This is where I live. This is my studio. Um, and you kind of go, right, yeah, I see what you're doing here and how he goes, um, um, right, okay, this is what I do on a Monday. This is what I do on a Tuesday. It's, it's very much he has his own working regime and, you know, everybody does that to a certain extent with their their work and their job but for them it's it's they're taking their ideas and making them kind of physical so they they can connect with people and and share those ideas there's there's nothing nicer than somebody coming up to you and going can you look at this or can you listen to this for me please i've 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 made this you know and to know that person has that trust in you to to do that because that's what artists do whether they be writers or musicians or actors or filmmakers they're trusting you with their work and their idea and it's for you to then take that and let it connect to you and that's to me is quite possibly the the meaning of life that that connectivity, that that bond that you might have with somebody who you've never met, that you've never interacted with, and you never will, but they have connected to you in such a way that your life's a, your will never be the same because of it. The one thing I've learned over the the, the past few years, especially with the mental health and and having the support group, is life is finite and we never know when or what is going to be the end of it 
I've recently lost a, a couple of friends um, to illness and and suicide, and you know, I I really wish they were, they, they were here, but I also know that that they're at peace. But for me, it's the bonds that we had beforehand. It's the conversations we had, the laughs, the messages, the comments on each other's Facebook walls, the hugs when we'd see each other. Um, um, I still miss these people and I will still keep missing these people. But for me, I'd, I'd much prefer to live with their memories and try and remember that the good parts and the the, the parts that connected us all together and yeah it it's I, I think COVID has kind of brought a realization for that to a lot of people and which is a good thing but it's also brought out some really really dumb ideas from others you know <laughs> Facebook has been great for letting me know which people I really don't want to interact with at all in life. Thank you very much. Um, but I, I, I know for me and, and my friends, you, you know, we have that love for each other and we're, we're still connected, no matter that we haven't been able to see each other for 18 months or, or longer or you know, I've got friends living in Argentina who I'll probably never get to see physically at all in my entire life. But we still have that bond, that bond, you know, that that connection that we have. I've got, um, I worked in the Philippines for a couple of months a few years ago, and I'm, I'm still in contact with those people over there. Um, my Facebook nickname is Daddy, which is daddy to them it's it's a running joke we had in the call center um and, and you know what I, I i will never lose that nickname i've got it tattooed in on the inside of my arm in in filipino um while i was over there in some really dodgy kind of shop um but it was the experience and it was the connection that i had um and yeah, the, the past 18 months has taught me to really appreciate these connections because we don't know when we're going to have them next. We don't know what we're going to be doing next. And, you know, let's just let's just enjoy them while we can. Let's make sure it, if you want to have jelly beans today, you know what? Go out and get some jelly beans. Have them enjoy them. In fact, Amazon do a 1.4 kilogram tub for under a tenner that they will send out once a month to you. I know because I have the subscription. Hallelujah. Can I press your hand against the screen, brothers and sisters? Join me in the, the jelly bean factory tub of jelly beans. Um, you, you know, it, it, it's and enjoy it while you can. Enjoy these ones. Enjoy these um, sort of like little connections. One of the things I've been starting to do, I did it a couple of years ago um, as part of like a self-care routine where I would go through Instagram and then through Facebook and I would post um, one 
one thing that I was really grateful for or thankful for that day, you know, and there, you know, you sit there at 11 o'clock at night and you go, right, what was good? What did, what have I taken away from today? And some days would be like, oh, I've been here, I've done this, I've, I've this, I saw this film that was brilliant, I saw this band, this was, I'd had a great conversation with a friend. Other days you're going, I had a bad bag of chipsticks and it was the large share bag and I ate to myself whilst watching crap TV, but you know what? I enjoyed it. <laughs> and it's reminding yourself that these tiny little moments exist all day, every day, and we just take so much for granted and overlook so much that, you know, that it, it, we should be, you know, celebrating. So that one of my posts the other day was, I've got jelly beans. Look at my jelly beans. Are my jelly beans lovely? They taste lovely. Mm -mm -mm. Jelly beans on ice cream. Ooh, lovely. Jelly beans in a little pot between calls, like nom, 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 nom. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's the kind of like crazy stuff that goes through my head pretty much 24-7. Um, yeah, but for me, it, it, it was a bad day, but I had those jelly beans. And, you know, that, that, that brought a ray of sunshine into my life. And then other people were like, you know what? I love jelly beans too, man. Oh, they're brilliant. And it made them smile. And it was kind of like, you know what? Today hasn't been that bad now because I've made all these people smile just by going jelly beans you know <laughs> so when life's down say jelly beans <laughs> everyone has to find their own jelly bean that's a self-help book if ever i've heard one <laughs> <laughs> find your own <laughs> jelly bean <laughs> a 12-point guide to begin of the plot Oh, I don't know about that. To start with. Yeah, 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 no chance. Yeah, I always joke that me and the plot had a, a messy divorce a long, long time ago, and it's irreconcilable. You know, the oil and water never going to happen. Scott's writings on his website, theorderofthedog.wordpress.com. You can also find Scott's music reviews on freesongsandout.com. contact Scott on Twitter at RustyRed666. Geek is a super dummy production for Fantastic Universes. Find out more at fantasticuniverses.com and superdummy.co.uk slash geek. You can contact the show on Twitter at Era of Geek or by email geek at superdummy.co.uk. You can support the show and Fantastic Universes by joining our Patreon, patreon.com slash fantasticuniverses.
I've had a great time. I've loved talking to you, Paul. Um, the, the next time um, I'm down in London, we're, we're going to have to meet up, me, you and Steve, and have drinks and, and coffees and food and such. El Steve, he, he's, he's the king. He's the chief. He's the, he's the man. And he... And he still owes me for um, introducing him to uh, Professor Elemental, so, you know. Yes, of course, yes. Yes, who we should mention as part of this, really, because um, just to briefly kind of describe him to, to people is he's a chap-hop artist, so it's very British, it's very, well, not even British, it's English. It, it's that kind of weird, kind of quirky, Monty Python, 70s sitcom, carry-on kind of humour meshed with hip-hop. And Professor Elemental is a real geek at heart. He loves Plastic Man. That's how much of a geek he is. He loves Plastic Man which in Plastic Man's creators probably don't like Plastic Man. He's a big Muppets fan, and he is one of the nicest guys on the planet. Um, his music's fun. If I'm having a bad day, I will stick on a Professor Elemental album, and I'll just sit and revel in it and just go, this is ludicrous. I love it. And... Yeah, that that's another kind of um, kind of like listening thing where you just get that magic moment, um, and the fact that he's got a new album coming out very very soon. Again, he's another guy that I support on Patreon um, because I believe in his work. You know, I, I want to help support him and make sure that he can keep creating albums for me to buy and, and listen to and and geek over and I got to see him um, the December before lockdown kicked off and he was playing this this pub in Newcastle um, and I went up afterwards and I said oh hi my name's Scott yeah I'm a friend of Steve Reyes and he said oh Steve 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 and I was like, yeah, yeah, you know, I'm Scott. And I said, like, oh, Scott, yes, and yes. Not as big a reaction as Steve, of course, because Steve deserves the reaction. Um, yeah, he, he really does. But kind of got, right, okay, um, can you sign your albums and your comics and your books? And I've brought you some cheese and chili scones that I've made myself. <laughs> Yeah, if you're a band playing Newcastle and I'm coming to see you, you can expect to be given cheese and chilli scones by myself. But uh, yeah, Professor Elemental's just that, that kind of like, that that magical kind of grace grace of a person where you, you, you listen to him and or you, you follow his feed on Twitter or Facebook and he's having a bad day and he's telling you about and you can relate to that and... That's what makes you love him that little bit more. Um, and I think that's why we connect as people with that. Tenuously, kind of, perhaps. Maybe it's caution. Terms and conditions may apply. 